Unsolved Mysteries, Patience Worth, Fugitive Counterfeiter, AWOL, and Hitchhiking Killer. I'm your co-host, Crystal. And I am your other co-host, Robert. This is Reenacted, an Unsolved Mysteries podcast. And we are continuing to delve into the depths of BS, unexplained segments. Yep. Uh, Yeah. we've, 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 We've dealt with electrical women. Yep. And... Some guy who's channeling dead artists. We've gotten people who have had channeled in their dreams their their pet, their living pets, mm-hmm. or their dead relatives. We we oh, have there was police. The, uh, the medium guy, uh, James Van, whatever. Too there was that guy. Yes. Um, uh, but and um, I feel like there's so many more. Right. Uh, yeah, uh, and it didn't. It doesn't stop. <laughs> Not today. No, uh, like I can't even recall when was the last last time we had a UFO or ghost segment. I I don't know, and uh, I, I mean I'd probably have to go pretty far back, and I'm thinking it's maybe the beginning of season seven, if that season it six fe- feels feels like it. I mean, it just it feels like a lot of these are just like okay, we got to have an unexplained segment, but we're really skimping on the budget. So, we can't yeah. we can't make we can't do we can't have a computer generate a UFO. We can't do the creating a, a ghost a special effect. Yeah. So, let's just find people who have odd things going on and we'll just interview them and so this, the, I mean, I you had alluded last time that you were seriously thinking, like maybe at the end of the segment, if we do not get anything, we may have to just may just yeah. have to become a sightings. We podcast. might have to become and a sightings podcast. Have humans been in contact with extraterrestrials? The creatures were laying like this. I'm, I'm. More time goes on, more of these segments keep happening. The more it, it's getting really, I don't know about you, it's getting really difficult for me to actually sit through an episode of Unsolved Mysteries in a way where I'm paying attention to it. Uh, I hear you. Because because basically what's been happening is I'm getting, you're losing me with the first segment. And even if there's something meteor or meteor, meteor if there's something meteor uh or worthwhile or a actual like true crime something that can be investigated explained solved whatever um to come later in the show you've kind of lost me you kind of lost me in the first quarter basically with this stuff and i'm you know we talked about what kind of audience do we think they're courting at this point and i think i'm sticking with this is a program for middle-aged and older catholics <laughs> because <laughs> yes because um definitely with this uh you know i like to do a little culture check-in like what's the moment that uh, you know what's happening in the culture when unsolved mysteries is airing these things and so now we're in the mid 90s um the rise of the evangelical 
That sounds like I'm talking like Rise of the Sith or something. The Rise of the Evangelical Movement has definitely taken off. And, uh, you know, the 700 Club is on concurrently uh, with Unsolved Mysteries, you know. Uh, So the first segment, oh, we might as well just jump into it. So this is season seven, episode 19. Here we go. All right, Gary, you were uh, telling me about uh, this podcast you found? It's not just any podcast, Doc. It's a conspiracy. A plot to unravel the entire order of civilization, man. Gary, have you been taking your medication? It's, it's called piloting error. It's these guys, Joe and Stuart. They watch television pilots, and, and then they talk about them. TV pilots? I, I'm not sure I understand. Why would anybody want to watch old TV pilots? That's the thing, Doc. It's scene-by-scene, in-depth analysis. You don't have to watch them at all. They're exposing the truth about who is in these things and what they really mean. Gary, it sounds like they're just discussing bad TV shows. I'm not sure what the conspiracy is. Listen. These pilots sit online for years. Nobody files a DMCA. They are hiding the truth right out in the open. Doc, am I going crazy? No, Gary. You're not crazy at all. You're just caught up in the crossfire of a wizard-based interplanetary television analysis experiment. So the first segment is around, it concerns Ouija boards. Mm-hmm. The, or the... Uh, sort of. It's sort of about Ouija boards, but it's really about something else, I feel like. Um, but ostensibly, that's the setup here. And right. um, I decided and to, to give do... us the illusion that it's just, that's the setup. Like they, no, you're right. They, they, they have like mm-hmm. a little brief mention of some Ouija board thing someone experienced. And then the rest just really is really the actual topic of this segment but i'm sorry i didn't mean to interject but it no no it, no like it's it, it's it is stru- it's it's structured in that way like there's th- the segment has two little tales and the first tale mm-hmm. is like 45 seconds long because all yeah. it is is just to it just exists so that like this they can call this a ouija board segment and not a that particular person segment right exactly even though in the description on youtube which is how we've been watching this it's listed i believe as pearl curran or oh. patient's worth so it is listed that first segment as a person's name it's not ouija boards um mm-hmm. but anyway so like all right culture check-in um so this i look i i was raised evangelical we've we've discussed that many times on this podcast um there this sort of mysticism around tarot uh psychics um any remnants of uh, victorian spiritualism was basically the work of the devil and there was really no room for that um in Mm. the evangelical movement which is interesting and we can come we can come back to that but it's sort of like culture check-in that is the time frame that this segment is airing in is we are now in the mid-90s. Evangelical movement is very strong. Not as strong as it is to become, uh, but it's definitely having an influence on the culture. And so something like this, I imagine if my grandmother, who maybe previously had been watching Unsolved Mysteries, she probably would have started tuning out around season seven because they were just there's just too much demonic business going on at this point. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, I mean, and I imagine she was not the only one. 
right? So yeah, there's just too much of the occult. There's too much of like opening the door to the other side, and all of that's very frowned upon. Um, uh, also, so Robert Stack uh, opens the Ouija board segment, and I'm I've never been there, but I'm fairly convinced that the set that he was on, he is on his location. I'm pretty sure it's at the Magic Castle. Oh, sure. that's fun. Yeah. So that's re- like really on the nose, kind of appropriate for this type of story. Because I can't think of any other, like, uh, except for maybe like, yeah, I can't think of any sort of Victorian designed building that they would have been able to film in. Yeah. Easily. Because it's. Yeah. Because most and, of and our Victorian th- buildings were demolished. Yeah, and they're not flying out to St. Louis. No, they're not doing that. So I believe this to be the Magic Castle. Have you you gone to the Magic Castle? I haven't. No, it's like really this, it's like this, getting in is kind of complicated. (laughs) Oh, I see. So you can, there's a number of ways to do that. So the Magic Castle is also kind of a hotel. So you can book a night at the hotel, and then you can get in. You can book dinner at the restaurant, and then you can get in for the shows afterwards. Or you or you can show an amazing card trick to the guy at the door <laughs> and prove that you're one of the secret magicians. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty much like if you happen to, you can hit up a magician that's working there at the time and see if they want to give you a ticket. Because usually they have yeah. extras for nights that they're working. So, um, which I have done. I have done that one. Uh, <laughs> I have okay. emailed and DM'd magicians. <laughs> this is pre-COVID, though. So, Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, hmm. No, I've never been. But I, I suspect they are filming this at the Magic Castle. And one of the things that really stuck out to me is that Robert Stack said that the Ouija board has been in use for 3,000 years. And I, I thought, uh, gee, wouldn't it be interesting if that was true? And was it true? I, didn't I don't bother know. To research I don't know. But I ended up reading a really long Smithsonian Magazine article. Yeah, I did the R word. <laughs> I did some research about uh, the Ouija board as it as a as it was in the united states so when it was introduced um why it became popular why it fell out of fashion i was reading i was reading all of that so um yeah i was kind of amazed because yeah they were mentioning like victorian era usage usages and i was Mm -hmm. just like i guess i was literally just under the impression that like parker brothers or whoever Mm -hmm. like just someone just created it and you know sold it to them uh, that it was just basically a corporate, you know, toy from the start. But I guess uh, its origins um, are a little more murky. As far as I can tell, that's the story in the United States. That's exactly mm. what happened, according to this article that I read. Um, and the fact it was, uh, there was a rise in spiritualism. So spiritualism was something, uh, it is this Victorian uh, concept of bringing these uh, supposedly ancient whatever ideas from Europe um, and giving them applications here. So you're talking about seances, you're talking about crystal balls, you're talking about spirit boards, which later became Ouija. Ouija is uh, the 
patented brand name. Ah, okay. In fact, there is a patent on Ouija boards. Oh. Yes. Okay. So that to makes... call it a Ouija board. Um, oh, it you, can't. It has to be like, I think, what's the company that owns it now? I think it's Hasbro, maybe? Ha- or, yeah, some, some, some toy company yeah. or whatever. They own the patent and they had purchased it um, originally from, uh, they purchased it from the company that initially had started producing these at the turn of the century. Okay. Um, so, in fact, yeah, it is, it is a corporate, corporate, uh, Tized toy. So if so, if you uh, if you don't want to be showing your money over to Big Hasbro, you have to you have to get the adhe- adhe- the adhesive bandages version mm-hmm. of the Ouija board. That's uh, right. I'll have I'll have one spiritual board, please. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can make your own too. I mean, nothing is stopping you. It's a board with letters Laziness. on it, and then you make a planchette. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> um, That's how I'm protected from the occult. Just laziness. Just can't can't be bothered. Yeah, we uh. were trying to. Uh, we were trying to. I had downloaded a Ouija board, or rather, spirit board app on my phone, and we were going to do a thing where we asked it some questions, but I couldn't get it to work, and it just kept showing me uh, pop up ads for really shitty mobile games. So um, yeah. Yeah, I uh, just deleted it off my phone. We didn't do the bit, but anyways, uh, and you and you don't own a Ouija board. I don't own one either, so there was no way for us to or really. Or do like, I? Do you? Let's let's circle around back to that. Oh, okay. I don't own one, probably because of some lingering notions about it being a door to the devil, but. Uh, <laughs> Plus, I mean, you know, space is always a premium yeah. when you're an adult. And it's like, yeah, eh. and, and we tend to, like, keep board games around that are more of, like, a game. Like, for points and stuff. Right, right. You have yeah. a little uh, a, a piece of paper and a pencil to keep track of the, the score. and the, Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, gotcha. so um, that's, the, that's the games we tend to keep in the house, competitive ones. Um, not spiritually exploratory ones, <laughs> but anyways. So the first part of this segment is um, there's a woman from I, I couldn't even find it on the wiki because this is how brief it was. Uh, there's a woman who lives in New York, and just for funsies, she's playing uh, around with a Ouija board, and she like um. Knew she was planning a trip to Scotland with her husband, and so she, like, sort of sarcastically asked uh, the Ouija board, um, who will I be crossing the border into Scotland with? And she was just being very cutesy and whatever. And then the Ouija board said, spelled out the name J.D. McDonald. And they were were like, hey, do you know anyone named J.D. McDonald? And everyone was like, no, no one, there's no J.D. McDonald, No, no one knows that name. And then, uh, like, months later, they're, oh, here it comes. They're on the train, the choo-choo, going from England into Scotland. And uh, there's, um, and they're in the dining car, and they strike up a conversation with this woman from Australia who, guess what, introduces herself to J.D. McDonald. Whoa, spooky. Oh, my God, whatever. And then I'm wondering myself, like, how did Unsolved Mysteries even find this woman? Like, this is, (laughs) 
like i'm yeah how do, well, you... how do they find any of these people well i, I mean i guess th- i guess this woman in particular is kind of like because it's not like there's it's not like so, some person's written a book about her or something she no. you know she's not one of the the, the more extraordinary uh, uh tales it's just someone who like as you said they had a a vaguely interesting Ouija board experience once in yeah, their suburban. Like, <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people have had vaguely interesting Ouija board experiences. How did they find this one woman? I, uh, did she write in? Do pe- would, would people write know. into the show and be like, Hey, something neat what... happened to me. <laughs> Maybe they did. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, okay, that was spooky. But the meat, the meat, the meat and bones of this segment is the story of Pearl Curran. Now, Pearl Curran um, lived in lived in uh, Saint Saint Lou, Missouri, um, and uh, she uh, lived there for some period of time during the 1910s, 1920s. And she was, you know, fucking about the Ouija board, as was the style at the time. And this is another thing I learned from the Smithsonian magazine article, is that in the period after World War One was, a like, a huge moment for the Ouija board. Huge. Like, everyone had one kind of situation. And... Most people did not see an interest in the occult in conflict with, like I said, spiritualism ran alongside Christianity in this country. Mm-hmm. So this didn't come into any conflict with any sort of um, mainstream religious views at the time. So everybody yeah. had a Ouija board and, you know, people were using Ouija boards to claim all kinds of things, especially about um, wills. Like somebody willing after death uh, through the Ouija board, something different. That does seem like kind of maybe the primary purpose of the board at the time, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, None of that held up in court, by the way. I'm just saying. (laughs) Um, That would be a very amusing uh, film to make. (laughs) Yeah. Especially if, like, both parties are using Ouija boards and spiritual methods to contest in this yeah. state. Yeah, can you imagine? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, so Pearl, in 1913, is having having some fun with the... Uh, she has a friend named Emily Hutchins, who we'll, we'll get back to in a second, um, who introduces her to this board, and Pearl's just like, I don't know about it. Allegedly, she's like, I don't know about it. Um, mm. And then they're they're playing with it, and then this uh, spirit comes through named Patience Worth, who apparently lived um, in the 17th century. Uh, so what follows is that Pearl starts to, dic- through the use of the board, starts to um, dictate what Patience is saying. Um and I guess what was convincing about it was that there it was sort of more of an archaic style of middle to not the English we speak now, more Shakespearean, I would say. Yeah. Uh, I guess the some of the and thou. And yes. 
Yes. And uh, anyway, so this is going on for years. And so Patience's husband, sorry, Pearl's husband starts transcribing everything. Eventually, um, a, a book is written. Like a novel, right? From yeah. from the from the spirit. <laughs> yeah, and it the novel was called the Sorry Tale. Um, it was actually published, and it was about Jesus's final days in Palestine. Um, and I guess some historian was like, "Yeah, this is what would have happened in this totally real situation of Jesus in Palestine." Um, so just, you know, (laughs) take that what it's worth. And, um, I don't know how you would verify a thing like that besides just like cross-referencing the Bible. I'm impressed that a 17th century, uh, woman had, well, I guess Mm -hmm. maybe she had access to supernatural contacts to, to get that information. Cause like, what's a 17th century woman in England? How is she going to? Yeah. track down any of this yeah i guess patience was like sitting next to sitting next to jesus and being like what do you want me to tell him here <laughs> to me like the like for me the prospect of having to write out a book by like identifying each letter individually it's just tedious seem, so it tedious so tedious like so even even if Pearl is like just you know completely making this up and pay, you know she's just spouting out these these you know novels or whatever, um, uh, if she's actually doing this through a process where she's going through it letter by letter, I mean in a way I mean just that sort of the persistence and determination that would require is kind of impressive on its own. Yeah. Well, you know, I think the other thing is that, uh, you know, Pearl didn't, wasn't college educated or anything like that. She wasn't well-traveled. And so to have, uh, I think a lot of the skepticism that would normally be applied here was sort of wiped away because they didn't expect much out of Pearl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. that's, you know, run, run this back in reverse. She actually published two books. Well, rather patience worth did via pearl um you know run this backwards someone named pearl curran from missouri that no one knows or cares about decides to sit down and write a book probably not going to get much attention right Mm -hmm. she does it this way she gets published damn yeah you're right like from a just from a business perspective this is a much more viable model yeah, well, it's also but, like, it, you know, there's a lot more buzz around it, right? Wait, what am I talking about? The buzz. The buzz. And the chicks, the whatever, is an offshoot of the buzz. It's going to get people to read the book. Like, oh, my God, this was, you know, tr- translated through a, a Ouija board. This is incredible. And given the interest in that at the time, you know, I think, you know, Look, if you've ever played with a Ouija board, y'all know someone's pushing that planchette, right? <laughs> we all we can all agree on that. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I. That's pretty much my my POV on it. 
Okay. Um, the other thing is that there's something called uh, idiomotor movement, which okay. is movement that your body does whether or not you are aware it's happening or are willing it to do so. So, um, I'm, yeah, like, you know. I mean, the, the, yeah, the thing is, is like, I could see even without someone deliberately, like, make, like, just when you have multiple people involved. All it takes is just for like someone to not even inadvertently like they just apply their their hands just applying enough pressure that it feels like the thing's moving to mm-hmm. the other people and they just go along with it and mm-hmm. uh, before you know you're you're uh, you're par- you're apparently cranking out five hundred page novels. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, so Emily Hutchins also published. Uh, I think it was a poem or something that was supposedly Hmm. dictated through the Ouija board Hmm. um, to her, uh, not by Patience Worth, but presumably by someone else. Um, I think, yeah, I think there's a really interesting story here, but the way that, okay. So then unsolved mysteries brings in an author (laughs) and it was like, he was the author of the Ouija, Ouija board gate to hell or something. I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> and i was like oh okay here we go well at least we'll get some skepticism introduced yeah here. that's not what happened this no kind of doubled down on the like this is incredible that that uh pearl could have could have done this it must have been you know this other there are things that we can't explain I'm like sure there's things we can't explain i just think this is very explainable this situation <laughs> yeah this like, this I is mean- a thing we can explain when this guy started talking, I was just kind of, I was shocked. I was, I was shocked because, uh, I mean, the, the name of his book is Ouija, the most dangerous game. Yes. So when this dude it's walks, actually, comes... it's not man, it's not mankind. It is in fact, the, the Ouija board is the main, most dangerous game. <laughs> hey, uh, he's here, he's uh, here to correct the record. <laughs> so so basically if you really want to have a true experience of being a hunter you have to be chasing around a ouija board Mm -hmm. (laughs) through the island jungle that you own yeah yeah that was um uh so like you get that title and then i just i suffered this profound sort of cognitive dissonance going on because i was like wait but Cause he's he's saying like oh yeah you know this and that but he seems he seems to be swallowing it up like yeah how could how could how, how you know like he's going he's he's like really pro on like oh yeah she was totally like writing books through a using a spirit and whatever mm-hmm. it's like what what is going on I I thought you were supposed to be in here though yeah um I liked I liked in the reenactment of like when like a skeptical uh guy comes by and the Ouija board says, hello, Mr. Fat and wide. And he's like, yeah, oh, 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 yeah some, some, some sense of humor. But then, I mean, maybe, maybe him and this author, like they're all sort of, um, they, they all reflect a certain phenomenon. Cause like, as soon as like the guy is like that, this, you know, who, who has just been insulted is like, do you think if I touched it, she would continue to write the novel. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> and he's so pensive when he like, yeah. and, and humble when he makes the request. He's like, 
can I, can I, can I participate too? And I guess he was just wowed. And they talk about, well, in his articles, he never outright said anything like, oh yeah, she's totally talking with spirits. He did say like, the quality of this work is definitely like top notch. Uh, you know, yeah. the novels and the, so. I also feel like the, the in the reenactment when uh, Pearl's moving the planchette sorry rather the planchette is being moved and <laughs> and uh william reedy is uh referred to as mr fat and wide and then uh pearl does that thing which is like oh that's just patience's uh sense of humor it kind of feels like one of those things where the ventriloquist dummy is roasting your ass <laughs> right and then the ventriloquist is like i don't know this guy <laughs> like no it's you you're the one doing it that's a good point. I think I think you're you're absolutely correct. Um, <laughs> what <that's>, a dummy! <laughs> uh, that said, there is a little bit of an aside here with uh, Pearl's story. She, after many years of uh, struggling to have a child with her husband, that she decides to adopt a child, and the Ouija board. And you know, I hope everyone's sitting down. The Ouija board says. Oh, it's going to be a girl. Right. Now, I think the Ouija board had a forty-nine point eight percent chance of that being correct. <laughs> it's a it's a pretty good guess to make. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of going back to that thing with the police psychic who was like, "Oh, yes, the name the name of the killer has an S in it. I bet it does." <laughs> I'd be be amazing if it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, yeah so of course yeah the the baby is born and then pearl and her husband are like oh it's a girl and we're gonna name it patience worth and that sounds great guys whatever you want to do um and then uh you know pearl dies in the 30s whatever but um the whole thing with patience worth and her writings is that was going on for 22 years 22 years she was milking this bit i mean yeah receiving words um <laughs> and it ended up being four million words i sorry for anybody who had to like guess or count that up four million words over 22 years so i would say look there is a story here and it is very interesting and the story is of a nobody housewife in the 1920s who finds a way to make herself interesting relevant and published for 22 years because of a freaking yeah. parlor game that is interesting but that is not the breathless story <laughs> that <we're laughs> that unsolved mysteries is... yeah this is this is one of those things where it's like there is there is a really interesting story here um but you cannot frame it in the context of unsolved mysteries because then it's not really a mystery, is it? It's just you're doing a biographical piece, on, right? Which yeah, and it's funny because I feel like, especially this season and maybe last, unsolved mysteries has given us some biographical or just informational pieces. Yeah, it's like, well, well, okay, well, if you're gonna do it on some, that random Yahoo, why can't you do it on this? Yeah, this this seems like it would be a fun movie. Uh, oh, I, I think I think even if 
it was only loosely based on well let's not give people ideas for screenplays that we should be writing but even if it was only loosely based on this woman's life um you know i think there's there's also it's this it's a story of uh fame as well and what that does to a person and how she may have felt compelled to keep producing Mm-hmm. Um, or receiving, however you want to look at this, but I think my um, opinion is clear on what was happening. Uh, you know, over over that period of time, so you know, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> I I won't say any more because we, as you said, we don't want to we don't want to reveal too much of our our eventual screenplay in upcoming movie right. yeah <laughs> um, uh well um should we fast forward to the future or the present or the past depending on what your point of view is the fourth i mentioned is a very tricky topic but let, let us do that <laughs> <laughs> let's let's go to let's go to let's go to um let's go to Pearl's future, our past, and John Vogel's present. Yes. Uh, we, we we start out the segment. You know, they give us some stock footage of the U.S.-Mexico border. Lots of vehicles lined up waiting to, to go through. And we get a depiction of the... Of, you know the sort of we have this reenactment of a guy you know he's he's in the post office and the thing i noted immediately was the weighing device was not digital it was a actual <laughs> physical scale um puts this big box down on there and the the clerk she asks him like you know what what he's sending and he, he re, in the reenactment he's like what 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 do you mean and she's like what's in the package um what did i write down clothes that's right clothes (laughs) (laughs) totally (laughs) non-suspicious interaction um which causes this clerk to contact, you know, U.S. Customs and whatnot, because this is right near the border, so it's not unusual for drug smuggling to be like shipped out from there. This package is supposed to go to this guy's business address in Minnesota. I'm not sure why he's mailing it, because this is in the U.S., so it's not like he's trying to get around a customs inspection. Mm-hmm. Um, He's in the U.S. Presumably, he could just like where wherever he's going, he can just carry it with him, unless he doesn't want the incriminating stuff with him. But then he's going to have a very, very uh, alarming. <laughs> I mean, th- th- what was shocking to me, what was shocking to me, mm-hmm. was uh, aside from the fact that he was not prepared for this interaction at the post office, where mm-hmm. like. You would think you would have an some sort of answer, um, like when they ask you, "What are you shipping?" Y- you know, you, you can't be like you, you can't blink on that. Um, right. Uh, and but here's what's sh- sh- shocking to me: when the package, 
because before it gets delivered to him, the in Minnesota, the local authorities and customs they have a warrant. They open it up, and you know he shipped a little bit of narcotics, but along with it, some of his, uh, as it turns out, he he makes counterfeit money. Uh, but the stuff was all hidden amongst clothes. Yeah. The stuff, like, I mean, it's one thing if you have, like, a package and it, like, just has the stuff that you want to send, um, and that's it. And someone, and you hadn't thought to, like, come up with a cover story for what's in there. But, like, he has his cover story. He ha- he has to have distinct memories of putting his, his ill-gotten stuff into the clothes and putting the clothes in the box. You think he could remember to answer clothes. Uh, very, very poor move on his part. Anyway, we we get this reenactment. Like they 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 put all this they put all the stuff back in the box. We sew it up, let it go out to delivery, and within a couple of minutes of it being delivered, they the federal agents raid his uh his his building. Mm-hmm. And we get this weird thing where, like, one of the customs guys, like, picks up the box. is like, yep, this is it here. And it's like, yeah, I mean, the, the, you, you, you guys sent it, uh, allowed it to continue on. I mean, I get, you know, it's, it's there. He mailed it. It's, you know, it's present and he accepted it. It's present in his thing. But they kind of... The guy kind of get like he gives this presentation like look what I found. It was like yeah, it was exactly what you should have been expecting to be there. Anyway, this guy has a lab set up with all this money all over the place, but it's not real money. It is counterfeit money. Um we get a little bit of background on Mr. Mr. John Vogel that he had he'd gone to prison for some robbery type thing got assigned to the print shop and some guy he was working with taught him how to make counterfeit money. The authorities they interview say that like the money that he was making was very high quality. And, uh, he, we have a little reenactment of them checking out his storage locker where he had like apparently $19 million of a sort. Um, yeah. It's fake. Along with, all fake yeah uh, and that that i like i like how you if you if you watch this segment you get a lot of they were when they were writing it they're clearly making a, a lot of fun little nod uh inserting a, f- a bunch of little jokes it was like you know uh frank you know john vogel was a self-made millionaire and <laughs> you know he, <laughs> the guy made uh guy made you could say he he was literally making money and so forth and oh, it's terrible. it's it, yeah yeah there, there's more than one of those in, in there um yeah i like the reenactment because in addition to all these boxes filled with all this money uh he also had like some computer mon old school computer computer monitors in there as well mm-hmm. um then they describe we get a little map thing where they highlight the various states he spent this money in and he mm-hmm. hit like what 30 different states where he was yeah and here's what i, I i'm kind of trying to figure out because they said he was you know he's just spending his money a, a bill at a time um 
you know, just, uh, I guess driving across country. That's the impression I got. He was just driving across mm-hmm. country, stopping at places, buying stuff with his, his fake currency. Um, I guess he and... just wanted to fund his road trip. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I guess that would be a way that you could do it without drawing any attention to the, of mm-hmm. the authorities. Uh, I'm assuming this was still at a time where you could get a hotel room without a credit card or, or anything um yeah but yeah yeah you know i i don't know i I, i'm not sure if he was like he would buy stuff with his fake bills and then set keep the the real change he got back in a separate bag that like is is the is his road trip kind of like a it's like a road trip slash money laundering operation or something i don't um anyway he he got put out on um uh, bail or whatever and disappeared uh we get the update where it turns out that they 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 describe his his criminal career coming to a, a abrupt and violent end because he got caught uh in a robbery type situation mm-hmm. that ended up with a high speed chase uh and eventually he ends up uh he ends up running his vehicle into a ditch off the road and dies by, via suicide. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Um, wow. Uh, now here, here's what I want to say. Cause you, I mean, mm-hmm. you, you saw the pictures uh, of, of, of him, uh, the mugshot pictures, right? Yeah. Okay. Is there any particular actor that immediately comes to your mind who would, who would play him in a movie? Uh, Lithgow. Young Lithgow. That's what I'm saying. John Lithgow. Young. Yeah, young. Yeah. I never got a chance to thank you. I don't think you'll ever know how much you've meant to us. Okay. Interesting. What are, Interesting. What are you seeing? I was going to go with Dabney Coleman. Ladies and gentlemen, Dabney Coleman. Also a great choice. <laughs> Man, we got we got our we got our our, our Ouija board writer movie, and now we're gonna yeah. have our John Lithgow slash Dabney Coleman. What if? But I'm also also maybe Gerald McCraney. Oh um, shit! I'm like I'm looking at the suit's picture right now, and yeah, Gerald, that's a good pick. That that is a solid <laughs> pick. Holy crap! Um, but I am I am seeing more of a like a Lithgow look. I mean. Yeah, like, and Lithgow, like, it, it, I guess it all kind of depends on what type of comedy you're going to go with. <laughs> I guess it's going to be a comedy. Um, uh, you're going to go with this this counterfeiting movie with. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, like, in any of the, like, any of them work, any of those actors work, you can, but you kind of have to tailor the, the nature of the comedy uh, to each. Uh, yeah. All right. Okay. We got two movies green lighted. Guess what? It's time for um, Bergwinkle. It is time for Bergwinkle. I'm. This this was kind of a, I mean it wasn't the most interesting of segments but it was interesting I um, 
I, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what, what this guy's deal was. So. Yes. I, I don't think it's it's ever um, revealed what his deal was. I have some guesses. I, as do I. I guess we'll have, to, we'll have to, at the end of the, we'll, we'll have to compare our guesses and we'll, we'll see. Um, we'll see where we land at. But um, yes, tell us about, about Justin Bergwinkle. Yes. So he's a young man who uh, had been in the army for a few years. Um, uh, ultimately, he disappears. So I'm just going to say that up top. This is a m- missing person's case. And um, he is stationed at Fort Ord near Monterey, California. Now, I was wondering, because I was like, Fort Ord? Wow, there was a there was a segment a really long time ago where we ended up talking about Fort Ord. I, I've Fort Ward has uh, Fort Ord has definitely come up. It has, and I was like, "Well, let me look through the wiki real quick because I know that we've talked about this. And I want to make sure that Unsolved Mysteries wasn't trying to pull fa- pull a fast one with re-airing a segment we'd already talked about. In fact, they haven't. Um, it was way back. Oh, gosh, what season was this? Back when they aired. Uh, this is so 1991 episode this must have been season five maybe season four of um the case of paul whipkey and he had um been stationed at fort ord basically went awol and then his car was found um in death valley do you remember this one this yes back, yes it, I and do. it took place back in the 50s okay so, so so not likely to be no <laughs> amazingly this is, not the, this is not the same but i thought it was really interesting where we have another situation where you know many decades later a soldier has gone awol then eventually declared missing completely from fort ord do you not yeah. find that strange no i mean like if 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 they had the only way it would have been even more amazing is if if it had been in the same time period, because then my mind would have immediately been like, oh, man, these mm-hmm. two segments are related and Unsolved Mysteries didn't even make the connection. Right. And I remember the thing with Paul Whipke is that someone in his family or someone on base thought he was on some secret mission or something. Oh. Which is also what gets floated here with Justin Bergwinkle, but Justin Bergwinkle is—he's the basically the um, the mess hall cook at Fort Ord, so really well, I, unlikely he would be tapped for any sort of secret mission. Well, but but that's the thing though—he uh, wasn't originally the mess hall cook though, right? He he was he had made it into the Rangers, but yes. had lost that prestigious posting because of. Uh, he, he got caught, caught in a shoplifting situation in like yeah, Korea. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so then, yeah, it gets dropped down into um, the, the cook thing. He, he wants to, he wanted to like do some language thing or, or whatever that would really excel, uh, accelerate him. But he was kind of, he was definitely down in the, 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 the bottom of his luck situation in terms of yeah. army career by this point. Now, he starts dating a woman who lives in Santa Clara, which is uh, near enough to Monterey. Uh, her name is Iolanda, and uh, she um, reports some pretty strange behavior shortly after they start dating. Um, he would uh, 
Justin would disappear for days at a time, uh, saying mm-hmm. that he had to go to Monterey, um, but then he wouldn't be showing up at base. So right. we don't actually know where he went. Um, he had this briefcase he was carrying around with something in it. Right. Papers. Right. Well, I guess like eventually it was revealed that like what, what, what was what he this briefcase that, you know, he, is I guess supposed to give the impression that he's carrying something super secret, right? Mm-hmm. But it was just like he just had like scrap papers in there that he was just tearing to pieces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was a call that Iolanda got while Justin was out with her friends and the caller just basically said to tell him the mission's off which may or may not be code for like we're not actually going to the strip club <laughs> I don't know <laughs> you know what I mean it's like you're in that like you're in the fucking army you're calling someone's house this the significant other picks up of course you're gonna you know uh, the mission's off yeah Come no that's now. a good point yeah yeah I guess this that would not that be, be taken the- literally yeah um, although when Ilanda mentions this to Justin when he returns, um, he starts freaking out. Um, he ended up being stationed at Fort Lewis, um, which is in Washington State. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, um, he calls his parents from Fort Lewis, um, but they don't notice anything out of the ordinary. But Ilanda said it just basically his behavior had become really erratic before he left. Um, around the same time that he's up at Fort Lewis, he purchases a couple of handguns and a bunch of ammo for no apparent reason. I mean, why does anyone do this? Who knows? Um, okay, so by June of 1993, um, Justin just stops reporting to his kitchen, his station in the kitchen, Fort Lewis. So he actually didn't he didn't defect from or disappear from Fort Ord. That just happens to be a coincidence um, with the Whipkey situation. Um, okay. And he and I'm very confused because of the travel distance. Is he at Fort? I don't know. I'm, I'm remembering this. There was a lot of back and forth between Fort Lewis and then Santa Clara, but those are very places that are very far away. I mean, this this whole segment is him going places and then leaving really abruptly and going, you know, yeah. back and forth, back and forth. Yeah, it's it was really hard to kind of like keep track of like where he was, but he ends up back at Ayolanda's apartment in Santa Clara. Um, and he wouldn't tell her anything except that she needed to watch the movie White Sands, and then everything <laughs> would make sense. Robbie, have you seen the film White Sands? No, I haven't. Uh, I did watch the trailer before we started recording, though, to to get some of a sense of the, <laughs> this film. Where truth is the ultimate disguise. I've never met anyone like you. You're honest. Even when you're lying. You don't I mean, it's, it's a film that has um, William Defoe and uh, it looked like... Uh, Mickey Rourke. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't personally, <laughs> I kind of like got a bit of amusement out of his mom describing the movie. 
Because he also told his parents, like, you need to watch White Sands to understand what's happening. And his mom's description was something along the lines of, it's this movie about gun running, and there's the FBI, and the CIA, and this guy's against that guy. And, uh, you know, like, you... You don't know who the good guy is and you don't know who the bad guy is. And like, as she's giving this, like this description where clearly she was having trouble, like following the film in my mind, I was like, dude, dude, Justin, you, you should have given your mom like a more accessible movie for her to right. like, watch to figure out yeah. what's going on in your life. Yeah. <laughs> Because she's like, she's not even getting, she's not even, not, she's not able to follow the plot of the movie. I don't think she's going to be able to then transfer that to your right, uh, yeah, particular situation. Um, so finally, uh, by mid-June, Justin leaves Alonda's apartment for the last time. He says he's going to Fort Ord. Again, I'm not really understanding why he's going back to Fort Ord if he was stationed at Fort Lewis in Washington State. I don't know. I don't like, don't understand what's happening here. Anyway, he was never seen again. <laughs> After leaving, um, they do find his car abandoned at a motel near Monterey. Um, he wasn't listed as on the guest list, though, for the three months he was missing um, from Fort Lewis. Um, his guns were not in the truck, but his briefcase, car keys, wallet, credit cards, military ID were all there. His military dog tags were also tucked in his wallet. Um, and Iolanda said that Justin had said if he you know, ever found dog tags lying around, that means that he was dead. And I, I think uh, there's some speculation by the family that they think he was possibly murdered due to connections to army intelligence. Again, want to reiterate, he was the cook. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's... He had been busted down. He wasn't in the Rangers because he was caught shoplifting. I, do, I really just don't think this is someone who's going to get mixed up in military international intrigue yeah yeah Uh, very very much not white sands yeah no not white sands and as far as anyone could tell the army actually wasn't terribly interested in finding him right like it took them a while to get around to like making him awol it was just like yeah so (laughs) yeah it doesn't doesn't really seem like he was he was involved with anything heavy whether it be gun running or and secret intelligence operations or 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 whatnot yeah um now now like eventually his car turns up outside some motel right yeah that's what yeah that's what i said and all his stuff except his guns was in the car yeah, yeah. and they they I, it looks like they have his actual parents doing a reenactment of them looking through the trunk uh mm-hmm. you know to find all this stuff and you know the thing with the the dog tags finding them in his wallet and they when they're interviewing his father his father says something like you know he loved three things in his life his his mother his girlfriend and his car and he would never leave those behind and i don't want to sound too cynical about the human nature but i can easily see very many people leaving the first two things behind <laughs> We've seen it happen in this show many times. Yeah. The car, the car is the one thing. Cause it's like, like, I mean, the first two, you could be like, Oh, I'm just, I fed up with my life and I'm just going to, you know, like discard it. But 
the car, like, if you don't have a car, that is such, such an impediment to, like, if, if you, especially if you want to just go somewhere and start a new life, it's like, well, I guess I'm going to be using the bus system for a while, so, um, anyway, yeah. So what do you think happened here? Okay, um... Assuming he wasn't just trying to seem cool for his girlfriend, <laughs> mm-hmm. which, uh, I mean, that's the thing is like when, when he like would suddenly leave and stuff, this is in an era before widespread cell phone usage. Yep. Uh, so it's like, how is he receiving these messages? Like it would make more sense if he had someone who was like, would be calling him and you know, he could have like a fake conversation for 10 minutes. And it's like, I gotta go. Um, but I, I don't know, like one one of the poss of the possibilities that rolled around in my head. One was like he just wanted to seem cool, right? He he felt like, you know, he he his army career had like seen him getting shoved off into like making meals for a thousand people every day, and he his, I mean, when we fail in our career, go we feel often feel pretty low, and so. He was trying to maybe he was trying to seem cool uh like oh you know he's involved with clandestine international operations um mm-hmm. or he could have been been involved with uh on base drug dealing yeah that's a thing it those would be thing. the two yeah those would be the two guesses i would throw out there what do you got um you know i was leaning towards he was having a mental health crisis but okay. I think with the very intentional mentioning of the movie White Sands and the thing he mentions to his girlfriend about the dog tags and then leaving them behind, I think he just went AWOL. And it is possibly because he was in trouble with the army up in Fort Lewis with something. Right, right. And he just wanted to bail on the whole situation. And I, I think that's maybe why the army wasn't super keen on trying to find him because he was maybe more trouble than he was worth. Yeah, yeah, that 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 could be. I mean, he's, he's not like he's not a, a a huge asset. It's not like um, you you've seen the movie Bloodsport. Um, no. With Jean Claude Van Damme. It's oh. shocking, I know, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, it, it's his best movie. Um, uh, like it, it's literally the only Jean Claude Van Damme movie I I enjoy watching. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. But I mean, in it he plays like a guy who's like a you know army, uh, some sort of special forces type, you know, person who he goes AWOL for certain um, uh, whatever personal reasons, and the U.S. government has two agents, one of whom is played by a very young Forrest Whitaker, mm-hmm. uh, who are like trying to find him to to bring him back because uh, uh, he represents a tremendous dollar investment by the u.s military whereas i don't think justin necessarily rises to the same level of <laughs> asset appreciation so okay i guess we we have that one solved he uh he just <laughs> wanted to <laughs> i mean you're i think you you mentioned you hit the nail on the head the very deliberate like dropping like you have to watch the movie white sand that's kind of like the kind of move I would make if I was too much of a gutless coward to like talk about something with someone. And I'm yeah. like, Oh man, I, I'm not, 
I can't. I don't want. I don't want to be involved in this conversation. So I'll just tell them like, watch this movie, <laughs> and hope they figure it out. All right. Well, let's move on to one last segment. Uh, this is um, this one takes us all uh, out to Delaware. Which is definitely not a place that exists. Is made no, up. no, no, not not at all. Uh, <laughs> hypothetical place, really. Yeah, uh, and I can say that now because Connor isn't editing our podcast, and he's allegedly from Delaware, but again, not a real place. Hmm. And, highly you know. suspicious. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like Delaware. It's just like. Uh, it's I mean, like Delaware. Whoa! If you're from Delaware, we love you. Please don't stop listening to this podcast. Go on iTunes. No, no, give we us. Do. We do love you. Yeah, yeah, we love you. Give, give us five. Is, definitely exists. You. That <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we that and we're gonna go out on the we're gonna go out there and just put ourselves out there and we're gonna say it. Delaware exists. Mm. I, hopefully that that ringing endorsement of your state will make you put leave five stars for us on mm-hmm. iTunes. Um. Anyway, so we we get introduced to a guy named Charles Holden. Uh, in the reenactment, he's 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 finished work at his uh, factory, and he's uh, stopping at a fast food place to grab a, a hamburger. Uh, to eat on the ride home. This is something I've had to stop doing for health reasons, but yeah, I uh, I get it's, the routine. It's, it's for the best. Yeah, I, I, you know, yeah. I'm glad it's it's working for you. Um, his his order though was like a burger and a coffee, and I'm like, those are two separate meals. Yeah, I don't personally. I I don't I don't like that combo. No, I don't. No. Well, you don't drink coffee. I drink coffee, and I also eat hamburgers. I just don't do those things together. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't seem like a like they should be done together. Not no, at all. it's a, that's a weird that's a weird meal already. What yeah. are we doing? You know. Exactly. Uh, and so in the reenactment, he's leaving the restaurant, and he describes how as soon as he's gotten in his car, he sees this like person walking up, almost almost up, up to the window. And it's this guy asking for like he needs a ride, right? To, uh, to some some town that's like totally out of the way from where he's going to be going. Mm-hmm. Like it's one of those situations where yeah, technically they'll be going the same direction for like five minutes, <laughs> um, and but then their their paths are going to split and but charles decides like oh you know I'll, I'll go ahead and give him a ride and this is where i was like what are you doing you're gonna you're gonna be giving him a ride for like five to ten minutes mm-hmm. that well yes i mean if he was walking the entire way there would would save him a bit of travel time but his intent is not to like just shave off some time from his his hike like he is presenting a scenario where he needs to reach the city like if this was a legitimate hitchhiker and not just like an insane, crazy person, as it turns out to be um, like, he would be better off being left in town. So he could like find someone who happens to actually be going there. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
So, I mean, it's no surprise to me that when they reach that intersection and he pulls over to the side and he's like, well, this is where we part ways. And the guy, I mean, I'm not saying the guy's right to freak out on him, but I mean, it's like, did you think that, 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 that this interaction was going to go smooth, Charles? Did you think it was going to go smooth? Cause I can tell you it most definitely <laughs> is not like, mm-hmm. I mean, like okay, now you this person you've you've t- taken them you shaved you know you've taken them ten minutes of a journey and now they are you're gonna dump them out in the middle of the dark interstate. Um, I you should have just said no. Uh, yeah. Now, so he like the the guy freaks out on him. They get in a, a physical altercation in the car. Charles manages to get out of the car while removing the keys, which is very impressive. Um, Mm -hmm. and then, uh, the guy chases after him on foot. There's, they're sort of scoffing outside of a, they're, 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 they're fighting outside of a building. Charles manages to get back into his truck and drives off. And the guy's like, I mean, and this guy is wild, right? He's just like, like, just uh, like when, when Charles gets out of the car with the keys, like the guy just looks like he wants to smash his fist through the windshield. He's like, Oh, Cause, um, uh, and Charles, he decides he tries to drive in a direction different from the one where he lives. Probably a good, a good idea. Um, and he goes a bit of a distance and then turns around only to end up returning to find the guy walking on his front yard. Yeah. <laughs> the guy. What on earth? Like, how did that even happen? I mean, I guess this dude was just going to be like, well, I'm just going to go break into someone's house and take their car or something. And he just, I mean, I guess if, if this is a sufficiently rural enough, like area, there's probably going to only be X number of houses available that this guy could like select. So he was probably just, you know, he sees Charles driving off. And he's like, well, I'm not going to catch up with that guy and just turns and looks down one of the other roads and starts walking. And maybe he actually he stops at the first house that like, um, I don't know, like I, I could I could see it being the uh, if it's like a rural enough area. It's not like a huge leap, but it is shock like it is kind of still shocking, like like um. And so Charles was like, "Oh shit!" So he like he he call he go drives to a payphone. Uh, uh, our Gen our Gen, Gen C listeners are, you know, you've you've seen pictures of them in history books. Uh, and he uh, he makes a call to the the state police, and this uh, this highway trooper uh, makes her way out there. And with him, she walks around the perimeter of their house, checking it out. Looks like there hasn't been any entry. But then Charles, like his thoughts, then immediately go to his mother's house, which is in the adjoining, uh, uh, the next door property. And unfortunately, um, this this uh, this hitchhiker broke into her house and murdered her. Yeah. Yeah. Um. It was kind of interesting. We see a situation where, you know, when they're interviewing the the police for this segment, they're like, well, naturally, we're kind of like a little suspicious of Charles because <laughs> he's describing this scenario where he picked up a hitchhiker, dro- mm-hmm. you know, 
ended up uh, 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 getting away from him and then comes back to find the guy had somehow like selected his house specifically to go to. But then they were able to get enough. They, they found enough witnesses who confirmed the existence of this guy who was loitering outside the fast food restaurant uh, trying to trying to get rides. So they're like, well, I guess he didn't do it. Um and the, the, there was also like a bloody palm print or something, and that that one didn't match to Charles. So it it seemed to uh, you know. Uh, so Charles innocence is assured, but they they had no idea who this guy was, and we it was only discovered via we get a text update at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so he he was eventually identified, and uh, I guess is serving life in prison. But there's there's one thing about this segment mm-hmm. more than anything else that I have to bring up, and I don't know if you experienced mm-hmm. this, Crystal. What's up? Okay. Um, I'm just gonna ask, I, I'm gonna start out by asking you: okay. At what point in the reenactment did you realize that the hitchhiker was black? Um. You know, I'm not sure that I realized it until we get the update. Right. Shot. Right. Um, like, it was something I did not pick up on mm-hmm. for a while. Mm-hmm. And even when I kind of the, the thought entered my head, I wasn't sure. Right. Um, and this was, as I was watch, re-watching the segment, I was wondering... Do we have? Because we 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 have had one unfortunate experience with unsolved mm-hmm. mysteries and blackface yeah. <laughs> up to this point, and I was tr- truly curious whether this was a second one. Mm. Um, it was difficult to tell though because the lighting in this segment was 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 pretty dark, and it just like. I couldn't. I didn't know if they had put makeup on this guy's face or if they were just shooting him in shadow, uh, mm-hmm. which was why I also didn't know what what his ethnic background was supposed to be. <laughs> so I, I'm really, I'm yeah. not. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm willing to accuse Unsolved Mysteries once again of doing this crime, uh, but I think it is just a matter of. T- Sort of when I was watching it again, because I, I went back and watched the segment right before we started recording again, I think what's happening is this man is being shot in shadow. And I, I believe the actor is probably African-American, but he is very light-skinned. Okay, yeah. And I think that's there's two things going going on there. I don't believe, but I'm not willing to say cert- with certainty that... Um, Unsolved Mysteries didn't uh, deploy a little darkening. I, re- I really hope Here. this was not a, uh, a second. I a hope second... so, too. I hope by the time of 1995, we have learned. <laughs> That's not I would okay. Have assu- I would have assumed a couple of seasons ago they would have gotten enough letters or maybe they would. Yeah, like, I, I uh, would assume as well about like, yeah. no, no, don't don't do that. Don't, don't don't you can yeah. actually just hire a black actor here right if you need one there's yeah. plenty plenty out there looking for work indeed and if um, you're out there looking for work nice 
Send us send us an email. Uh, Reenact. Uh, we're not hiring. Uh, yeah, we're not hiring. <laughs> Why would they send us an email if they're looking for work? <laughs> well, yeah, we we can't uh, really see, help you see there. A segue there, Rob. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, just send us an email, reenactedpod at gmail.com. Uh, head on over to the Patreon. I realize if you're work- looking for work, you're probably not looking to s- spend superfluous amounts of money. But if you no. just sign on the $1 tier, uh, it'll uh, sustain the program. And the, at yeah. the $5 tier, you might receive something. Um, yeah. And I, yeah. you know what? I've been putting, uh, and I'm going to continue to do this. Uh, been putting up early release episodes. So if you're okay. at the five dollar tier, you can listen to an episode of Reenacted days before we put it on the main feed. So that is there for Fascinating. you. Fascinating. Right. We haven't done that in a long time, but I'm started doing it again, and I'm going to keep up with it as long as okay. I can. Okay. So sounds good. Uh, and then uh, you know, as I said earlier, head over to iTunes. Give us five stars. You can write whatever you review you want. Like, they did not help me with my job searching at all. Yeah. Uh, but it is a passable podcast, whatever. Five stars. Um, you look, look, like, we will gladly accept any sort of criticism if it comes yeah. to five stars. Not just criticism, totally. but insults. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to get really personal in there at me and just, like, just tear me to pieces. Yeah. Like, I mean, but you give us five stars, we'll accept that. Yeah. Might even read it on the pod. I mean, I don't necessarily <laughs> want to encourage negativity, though. No, no, no. But, but if, if the negativity, creative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're if you give us some cre- creative na- negativity that is amusing to read and accompanied by a five star review, it might be read on the air. I, Maybe it's a possibility. Or if you say something like really nice and and positive, but also creative, um, that would be preferable. Actually. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe maybe for our mental health, it would be better if yeah. you just said something positive. Um, but it's like my it's like my grandmother said, if you can't say anything nice, at least leave us five stars. Yeah, that is also what my grandmother said. That's really weird. What a coincidence. <laughs> Robbie, that is... you wanna do the Join us next Friday for another episode of Unsolved Mysteries. Oh.